Welcome to the Fit Money Podcast, where we'll discuss something we all need through our entire life, financial literacy, but also asking the tough questions. Why aren't students learning it? Financial literacy is more than the math and a behavior we'll need beyond the classroom. So we're learning how we can help students, families, and teachers build a new generation of financially fit students everywhere. This week, Fit Money Executive Director Jessica Peltier meets with Matt Trogdon, a financial planner and financial literacy workshop instructor with the Babson Financial Literacy Project. On this episode, Jessica and Matt discuss what the road to becoming a financial planner looks like, along with the questions college students are asking, and what they should know when credit card companies pop up on campus. There's a lot to know in financial planning so young, so today we're focusing on the right questions for you to ask. Hi Matt, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited to get to know a little bit more about you and have our listeners learn about what you do in your day-to-day job. Um, So let's do just that. Matt, tell me kind of your journey as an educator and with financial literacy and what you do every day. Wow. Okay, sure. Yeah. So I am a full-time financial planner, financial advisor here in Washington, D.C. And then I also work with the Babson Financial Literacy Project through Babson College. So I spend most of my day working with clients, working on financial plans for clients. And then whenever there is a financial literacy workshop that I can teach, I will I will go in and do that as well. So those would be college students, yes? So it's a mix. Usually it's college students. Some of them are kind of your traditional age college students. Some of them are community college folks that are older And then also we have partners with lots of different public library systems. So the Boston Public Library System is an important partner of ours. And those sessions are open to the public, so not just college students at that point. Oh, that's fantastic. So a financial advisor, financial planner, what Mm -hmm. is it when you see college students? Let's focus on those more traditional age, so kind of 18 to 21, 22. Knowing what you know when you see these people come to you much later in life, you know, 30s or 40s, what do you wish that they knew more about when they started college? Oh, wow. That's a great question. So kind of the story that we've all heard is the college student who signs up to get a free t-shirt when they start college and they end up signing up for a credit card, right? And they didn't know that. And there is a, there are lots of stories of, of folks who kind of get themselves into trouble with credit cards because they don't really know how they work. And so ideally for, you know, every credit card company that's on a, a college campus, there would also be some financial literacy resources, on a, on a college campus as well. In addition to that, you know, unfortunately for most folks, still financial literacy is not part of the high school curriculum. It's not part of the college curriculum. So I was a history major in college. I had to seek out, you know, taking economics classes because that was interesting to me. I had to seek out taking classes about finance things because that was interesting to me. I came from a family where we talked about the stock market quite a bit. And so it was natural for me to go and seek those things out. But unfortunately, you know, if it's not natural for you to go and seek it out, 
it's not a required part of the curriculum in most places. And so I tell folks that the best time to start investing is as early as possible. The second best time to start investing or, or just kind of getting your financial house in order is today, right? So if you didn't have the opportunity to get that knowledge when you're 18, 19, 20, and you, you start thinking about it when you're in your 30s or 40s, that's not ideal, but that's certainly better than starting to think about it when you're in your 50s, right? Right, so. right. I do like that. You know, the best time was yesterday, but barring that, <laughs> today's good enough. I read somewhere, Matt, that something like 51 or, or it's definitely a, a higher majority of folks that get their first credit card uh, really, truly don't know how they work. And, and I think I just heard you say that as well. Um, I mean, I, that's just crazy to me. We we make people, you know, take driver's education before they get a license. Mm-hmm. You know, we, you know, you have to actually get a license. So why do you think that is that there are these financial products out there um, that can can advertise and, and give to so many people that that are are good? I'm not in any way trying to say that, that these are the bad guys, but without the education that go hand in hand with the product, you really can get yourselves in trouble. Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I would always look to the incentive structure, right? So it, the incentive of the credit card company is to make money. They're not nonprofits. And so if they can get customers at, at earlier ages, then that that is beneficial to them. Ideally, in a perfect world, we would want them to also provide financial education to their customers, but that's not something that we can plan for. So I, I do think debt, credit cards, it's such an interesting topic because I usually see two mistakes. There are folks that that think that all debt is bad and that all credit cards or bat are bad. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there are folks that think that, you know, a credit card is just money that you don't really ever have to pay back or money that you <laughs> don't have to pay back for a really long time. And the truth or the, I guess, what I think is the truth or the optimal way to use credit cards or to use debt is as, as a tool. And so you have to understand how credit works and how debt works. And if you know how it works and you can use it properly, it can be a really powerful tool for a lot of people. But there's a lot of education that needs to be provided in order for folks to understand that. I, I meet with people that are in their 30s and 40s now and they don't understand that. So to think about it, to, to hope that high schoolers or college students would get it at that point, we have to do a lot more work in order to teach them. Well, and I, I thank you for the, the effort that you do there, certainly at the, at the Babson um, level for, like you said, their students as well as some of the um, public uh, communities. That's fantastic that libraries are signed up because I think that's just pure accessibility right there, which is great. As you know, um, the, the bit you know about Fit Money is we also really talk about financial literacy as a behavior. And, and like you said, you know, with credit and debt, you know, really understanding the behavior behind the decisions that you're making mm-hmm. uh, is so important to, to understand, you know, like you said, the pros and the cons. And we really talk about starting early, you know, as early as kindergarten, as early as elementary in your, in your day job, um, do you see that families are starting to incorporate some of the, the younger generation in some of the, the planning, or do you have to really uh, express why the, that's important to do? That's a good question. I do have some clients who 
they've gone past just setting up college accounts for their kids, right? So lots of clients do the right thing and set up 529 accounts to help their kids fund college and, and things like that. But then you also find other clients who they will open additional accounts and say, oh, you know, little Jimmy and I decided to buy a couple stocks in his name so he, he understands how, how this is going. And I think that's wonderful. I, I don't necessarily try to push it. My, my main priority is to make sure that the parents have their house in order. But for some folks, um, I, I'm always happy to see it. One thing that's also very interesting to me that kind of rides alongside this is we talk a lot with our clients about what their early money experiences were like. And because that's something that resonates so deeply throughout someone's life, right? So I have a client who she's racked up some debts. We've talked about why that is. And and she has told me, you know, when I get money, I am inclined to just spend it immediately because when I was younger, we didn't have a lot of money. And so when, as soon as we got it, we learned that we should spend it because we didn't know when we were going to get it again. And then I have other clients, you know, on the other side, you know, my family was pretty well to do. I watched them save. And so they modeled that behavior for me as well. So there is some teaching that, that needs to go on certainly at the family level. And then there's also, you know, some awareness for parents to show that, you know, by the modeling that they're doing, that's what their kids are learning. I love that. I think the, 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 the all time question of the nature versus nurture, uh, and I've shared this story with some of our listeners before, but I have a 12 year old and a nine year old, obviously they grew up in the exact same house, um, the same parents, uh, and the 12 year old is a fervent saver. I mean, he gets a dollar, he saves that dollar and it, it's great. And I love that because as you, you know, you say there, there are tools that are, are very beneficial when we learn about them. So I love that he's a saver. Um, but then my nine-year-old is the exact opposite. <laughs> he gets a dollar, he wants to spend $2. Uh, and so I do, it's so fascinating to watch people's relationship with money and I think it really is influenced by so many things, uh, which is why I think it's so important to really provide it to, to everyone in our, in our communities and in our population and ideally through school, because that is where you are reaching, you know, the greatest population of, of kids and, and young adults. Yeah, I agree. For me growing up, one of my first uh, memories was my grandmother opened a savings account for me and she put $50 in there and she said, just wait. She said, you're going to get interest. And I said, well, what is interest? And she said, they pay you a little bit every month to keep, to keep your money in the, in the bank account. And so I remember when I got the first statement, you know, ran to the mailbox to get the first statement and it was like seven cents, right? So it was like $50 and seven cents. And I, as you know, an eight-year-old kid, I was very unimpressed at the time. But that concept <laughs> of earning interest and money kind of compounding on itself was something that I found to be very interesting. And then when I was actually when I was in college, I started talking with other members of the family about how money kind of compounds and grows in 
investments and that's where the stuff can get fairly exciting. So, but I had that concept of interest and of money, of money building drilled into me very early on and certainly shaped the way how I think about money and finances for the rest of my life, probably. Probably one of the best lessons I think any adult can teach uh, a young child is earlier, the better, you know, putting your money to work for you. Uh, And so that's certainly, you know, one of the most basic lessons that we really try to drive home uh, here at Fit Money. Although one of the things we are seeing is, and and this is true of, of any nature of product are are brand new products that people have never heard of before, obviously cryptocurrency, although that's while it's not brand new, it still is, is, you know, newer than your traditional savings account, borrowing products, uh, buy now, pay later, whatnot. How often are you seeing, you know, your students that you interact with asking about these things before, like we were saying with credit cards before just jumping into them and and using them, uh, which I think like we've just already said, it can be dangerous to start using things that you're not really quite sure exactly what they are. I've seen a lot of interest and excitement about cryptocurrency. So whenever we do an investment workshop, someone will always ask about cryptocurrency. And I, I tell them what I tell my clients, I, the same thing. I say, I think you you have to understand that there's going to be a relationship between risk and reward, and you can't get around that that's an ironclad relationship in finance. And just because you take a risk doesn't mean that you're going to get a reward, but you usually (laughs) have to take some risk in order to get a reward. And so I think about cryptocurrency in that framework. And I say, you know, cryptocurrency is pretty far out on the risk spectrum. And so if you want to invest in cryptocurrency, I would not invest any money that you would not be fine losing. So if you if it went to zero and that would really upset you, then I wouldn't invest in it. But we so we see some excitement around that. I'm always impressed at how much more the students know than than we might think they're going to know. So because they hear things, right? So I'm I always like it when I get a question that's about something that's not in one of our presentations. I hear also that, you know, social media is really quite a very common place for information, good or bad. Um, sure. I think for every accurate example of a of a product, you're probably getting two or three that are not. Um, is that where you're seeing that um, that kind of initial awareness or knowledge uh, coming from? I think that's certainly part of it. As you say, you know, there's a lot of good financial content out there on social media, and there's a lot of not good financial content (laughs) out there on social media. And, you know, if you're watching Instagram reels or you're watching TikTok and that's the place where you're getting your financial information, unfortunately, you don't know if the person that you're, you're listening to or watching, you know, has the credentials, know what he or she is talking about. You don't know what their incentives are. You don't know what they're not showing you. Right. So they're going, they're always going to show you something, but you don't know what they're not showing you. And so that's really hard, but we do see it in financial media we, or social media. People talk to their families, things come up, you know, that, that there's a, a lot of different sources where folks get ideas. Financial planning, financial advising, uh, folks that like you try to help families uh, really create their best possible financial situations. 
for for young people who are really just starting to establish themselves and they want to uh, bring on someone like yourself to help them, what are some of the best questions that they can ask to determine this is the right the right person for me? Uh, so explain a little bit about, um, you know, there are more and more young people uh, today, I think, that that recognize the value of someone like yourself. So so what should they be looking out for um, to really make sure that they've, they're finding a good partner? Great question. So especially for young people, the model, sort of the compensation model for financial planners, financial advisors has evolved a lot over the years where way back in the day, we, we used to make money on selling products, right? Whether you're selling mutual funds, you're selling insurance, or you're, you're just doing stock trades and charging a commission. And then very slowly, it sort of transitioned to a model where you were getting compensated for managing an investment portfolio, right? So you charge 1% or half a percent or whatever on, on the size of an investment portfolio. More recently, we're starting to see the appearance of a flat fee model. So, you know, I'll do a financial plan for you and I'll charge you this fee. Or you might see an hourly model where I I can do I can help you with planning questions or financial advising questions and I'll charge you an hourly rate. For most young folks, you know, I, I don't think you necessarily have probably don't have a big enough of an investment portfolio where it met, you know, where you would need someone to help you manage it. There are enough really basic investments out there, especially if you're talking about people who, you know, maybe they got in their first job and they have access to a retirement plan and they can just use a target date fund in their retirement plan. So for folks who are, you know, fresh out of school, I would probably look for someone who is going to either charge by the hour or someone who's going to work on that flat fee basis. The second thing you want to know is, you know, what actually am I getting from working with you, right? Um, is it going to be someone that is going to talk to you about all of the different aspects of your financial picture, or is it just going to be someone that's going to you know, manage your, your probably smaller investment portfolio or someone that's going to try to sell you a, a, a fund. So just like if you were to, you know, buy a car or if you were to try out a new doctor or something like that, you <laughs> want to make sure you understand what you're actually going to be getting from the person. Because unfortunately, a lot of different people who do things a lot of different ways and they all call themselves financial advisors. So you really have to be persistent with the questions you're asking and you really have to be persistent in the clarity that you are trying to get around what you are going to get out of the relationship. And someone who is good and honest should not shy away from those questions if you ask them. Great advice. Really great advice. I think it's important to know uh, the industry and we we get lots of questions from students that also want to join the industry. They want to become financial advisors and planners. What was your roadmap? You know, what was your education background and how did you end up in this, uh, this business? Oh man, I took a probably very circuitous route. So I, like I said, I grew up in a family where we talked about stocks and I thought that was really interesting, but I went to university of Virginia, um, and I was a history major and I thought I was going to be a history professor and I went to graduate school, 
um, for a program, the PhD program in history. And I lasted about six months before I realized <laughs> I wasn't cut out for it. So I stayed there for two years and I got my master's. And so I have that hanging on the wall. And then I got a job at a financial media company uh, called The Motley Fool in Northern Virginia. And The, uh, the Motley Fool is a very big proponent of financial education and trying to demystify um, the investment world for the average investor. And so I, I loved it there. I didn't really do any um, investing work, though. I was really more on the product side and the marketing side. And uh, 2016, I decided I wanted to do something different with my career and had a conversation with a friend who suggested I look into becoming a financial planner. And it was a bit of a light bulb moment for me. And so I started, I took what was called the CFP exam. Um, so I, I did the coursework to be called a, to uh, become a certified financial planner. I took the exam and passed it in 2018. And then in 2019, I started my career as a planner. And so I'm coming up on my four year anniversary here. Well, that's great. Matt, thank you for the work that you do. Uh, thank you not only for helping families uh, build you know, successful futures, but also staying on the education side and, and working with uh, the students through Babson and, and through that organization. And it was really great talking with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us today on the Fit Money Podcast. Whether you're a caregiver, teacher, or student yourself, there's plenty of great K-12 resources to begin or continue your financial literacy journey at fitmoney.org. Visit the show notes for more from today's guests and financial literacy activities for the classroom, at home, or on the go. We'll see you next time. And until then, happy learning, earning, and saving. The Fit Money Podcast is presented by Fit Money, the leading K-12 financial literacy curriculum, providing free, unbiased financial literacy resources. All opinions, products, and references during the show are not endorsed by Fit Money and are solely opinions of the individual. Fit Money does not claim any responsibility for external resources referenced during the episode. All Fit Money products and episodes are provided for educational purposes and are not professional advice.